Okay, for those of you who still have a paper Bible, um, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 22. And for you techies, you might just want to flip on your phone. Um, This is part two. Some of you uh, may have missed part one, which was back in June. So um, that's available via the church website. Um, For those who like podcasts, you can also subscribe and and get it as a podcast. I'd certainly encourage you to, to listen to part one. Um, which is also obviously about prayer, but today we're talking about faith and love in relation to prayer. So uh, we're looking at Matthew chapter 22, um, verse 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So where are we going today? I thought it might be quite useful just to recap on a a few key points from what I touched on before as a foundation for where we're going. So, this is, I'll put them all up so you can be. First of all, God is good and he's good all the time. God is for us. We are his precious sons and daughters. And because of that, we can be expectant that he's going to do great things, and often in response to our prayers. He delights in in us partnering with him. God loves having us involved in the family business. We carry his authority to see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said that those who believe in him would do greater works than he did. That may not be uh, your experience yet. And you may feel that we're at a a low watermark. But the river's flowing. And the tide is rising. And a high watermark is our inheritance. Painful circumstances do not mean God does not care or is not at work. God inclines his ear to hear what we're going to pray. The prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. And then there's the quote from Bill Johnson, faith doesn't deny a problem's existence, it denies it a place of influence. So with that as our foundation, I'd like to be really practical with some things that will help us with our prayers. And I'll start by saying something that might surprise you. Sometimes it's good not to pray. See, see, whenever we do, whenever we pray, we do so from one of three possible places. Faith, fear, or selfish gain. 
You might want to think of them as three seats. So before you pray about something, you sit on one of those three seats. When the enemy attacks and it comes out of nowhere, the temptation is to immediately pray, but often you're doing so from the seat of fear. Sometimes what's more effective is to take a few moments and focus your heart on Jesus. Remind yourself of who he is, of who he says you are. Remind yourself that despite you being taken by surprise, God wasn't. Realise that he knows the way forward and will be faithful to you through it all. Let the Holy Spirit stir this truth in you and help you to see your circumstances through his eyes. And as you do, you'll have moved from a place of fear and find yourself praying about what's happening from a place of faith. You'll move from a position where you're, you're going, ah, help, I don't know what's going on, this is all going really bad, to, I know, I, I know you've got this. You're good to me. You saw this coming, and you know the way forward, and you're going to lead me through it. I can trust you in this. You're faithful to me in all circumstances, and that includes this one. So I can pray knowing I may not understand what's going on, but I know you've got this. And knowing that, I can pray with confidence that your will be done in this circumstance as it is in heaven. The way that we look at things affects the way we pray. It is so important that we see things the way that they truly are, not just how the world or the enemy want us to see them. If we see things the way God sees things, we will look with eyes of faith, but also as people who are able to influence and affect and change things with our prayers. Is it any wonder that the enemy wants to cloud the way that we see things? For us to see things through a worldly or a cynical or a faithless perspective, it's dangerous for him if we view things the way that God does. Romans 12 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Conform to the pattern of this world could also mean think the way the world does. See things the way the world sees things and wants you to see things. God wants us to have a better vision than that. He wants us to see things the way he does so that we walk in step with him and partner with him in seeing his kingdom come. That we carry and bring his love, his grace, his goodness, his kindness with us and are people who view the world and our circumstances with eyes of faith, hope and expectation. There are many ways we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Um, there are many ways to unpack that particular scripture. And part of it is being so full of Jesus 
and seeing things from his perspective that we are not impressed or overwhelmed with the size of the problem. But we see it the way he does. We see our circumstances in light of how big he is, how able he is, how wonderful he is, how good he is. Every situation we face is an opportunity to see God's goodness and faithfulness at work. And they are all opportunities for us to choose to trust him, to stand on his goodness and see him take us through the valleys and out the other side. Now, earlier this summer, I I bought a hat. I'd like to put my hat on. Can anybody read my hat? Everybody read my hat? Okay. I wore it uh, a lot when we were at Soul Survivor. Got, got some interesting comments. Um, one person assumed I was American, and when he found out I wasn't, he asked me why I was wearing a hat. So I said, well, partly it's mischief. Um, I knew that wearing it would push some buttons for people and many people would make assumptions about me because of the hat so that seemed like it could be fun Um, but also because if I'm honest I was becoming more and more uneasy at the way people are talking about Donald Trump in the media and social media and on Facebook including Christians The tone of much of the conversation strikes me as bordering on hysterical. To the point where if Donald Trump discovered the cure for cancer, people would criticise him because he hadn't discovered the cure for the flu. I'll be honest. I love Donald Trump. My prayer is that he is the most successful US president there has ever been. That his presidency will result in great things for America and for the rest of the world. Now, I know that Donald Trump pushes some people's buttons. But for you, it might not be Donald Trump. It might be Theresa May or Boris Johnson. Jeremy Corbyn or Kim Jong-un or Barry Scott, I don't know. (laughs) See, often many in the church lose sight of who the real enemy is and have turned on those we're called to love. Ephesians tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. People are not our enemy. There is a political spirit out there that seeks to get us to turn on one another, on people, rather than recognising they're not our enemy. They are the ones we are called to love. Romans tells us that it's, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. 
In John 3, it talks about God's desire that people believe in his son so that then they don't perish. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's the heart of the Father. People are never our enemy. When we see them the way God does, we see that they are our family who need an encounter with a good father and who get to experience him through us if we represent him well. Take Donald Trump. What would it be like if every Christian who has ever criticised or judged him or called him an idiot instead committed to praying for him every day? What if rather than cursing him with the way they talk about him, they blessed him? They asked God to give him uh, godly wisdom, that God would surround him with the wisest counsel for all the issues that he faces as a president. And what if he knew in the face of all the vitriol, the hatred he gets from so many areas, he knew there was a group of Jesus lovers who were uncompromising in their love for him whether they agreed with him or not on each issue, and that they faithfully prayed for him, that he would know success in his endeavours to be a good president, and through him, his country and the world would be blessed. Here's the question I find really challenging. Why would God listen to any prayers I might pray for someone that I have no value for? I need heaven's perspective and I need my father's heart. I wonder if any of you have heard of um, someone called Vicky Beeching. Vicky Beeching grew up on the south coast. Uh, when she was in her youth group at church, she started to sing uh, right songs. And I think at the age of 19, she got a record deal with a um, company in America. Uh, She filled a particular gap in the market. So she she ended up having a a career writing worship music and performing at various places um, very successfully. And then uh, in her early 30s, she um, made an announcement. And what she said was that she'd realised since she was a teenager that she was attracted to the same sex. And she'd tried to suppress this and she'd become ill. And in her 30s, she was seeing counsellors. She was getting some kind of autoimmune thing. And and the counsellor had said to her, what is it that you're not being honest about? And she realised that she was gay. And she realised that part of her her healing of getting better, she needed to be honest with people about that. And so she announced to the world, I love Jesus, but I'm I'm gay. Um, What was quite horrendous was some of the response that she got from certain sections of the church. Um, People effectively were saying they, they wish she'd die. They wished that all sorts of horrible things would happen to her. 
Um, they wished that she'd go broke. You know, horrendous, horrendous. And what was fascinating was that her response was one of grace and forgiveness. There were elements of the church whose response was just to love her, and that was good to see. Now, let me be honest. When I hear about things like that, there's this Pharisee in me that wants to come out. I find those kind of situations sometimes quite difficult to navigate well. And often this Pharisee wants to turn up and come out for seemingly very good reasons. I want people to know what the truth is and to walk in it and not be deceived. I want people to walk with God in holiness and understand what the Bible says about things. But I've often felt a check in my spirit to be very careful what I say. And I think one of the reasons for that is this. Speaking truth without love often just causes pain and creates distance. In Matthew, the greatest commandment is to love God and then it's to love people. It's easy to lose sight of this. We can be so passionate about God and walking with him and knowing the truth that we lose sight of the greatest commandments or our highest callings. The church does best when we get these two commandments right and don't let anything else take their place. Sometimes things that are good in their cell, in themselves have become more important than they should How about when we seek to protect truth or doctrine or righteous living or good moral standards and make that more important than loving others? I'm not saying these things have no value or aren't important. But Jesus was very clear about what the two greatest commandments were. Love God, love others. The history of the church has not been great when we've lost sight of these two greatest commandments. I have a growing conviction that God intends to move powerfully in the LGBT community. And there's going to be a revival among them with many encountering and falling in love with Jesus. He longs to show them that the love the affection, the affirmation they seek will only ever be fulfilled in him. In a loving encounter with a good father who wants them to come home. The church needs to be a place that is safe for these people. A place where they're loved within a community. A place for those struggling with their identity because they are loved and valued and in a place where God will meet with them, where they can encounter his presence and in that place find healing, wholeness and identity. Let's face it, there's no one better at healing and changing someone than God. 
Let's trust him to change people. If he can change a murdering, Jesus-hating, Christian-persecuting Pharisee into a Jesus-loving, church-planting man of God who wrote that amazing passage about love in 1 Corinthians, then there are no better hands to place people into than his. Some of the nuts and bolts of how all this happens could raise some good questions to wrestle with. I get that. But loving people is non-negotiable. You see, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels but have not love, I'm just a resounding gong. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I gain nothing. Let me put it another way. If I speak with godly knowledge, wisdom and understanding on all issues of theology and biblical understanding, but have not love, I gain nothing. If I fully understand and know everything the Bible teaches on the issues of love, marriage, relationships, sexuality, sexual relationships, identity, strangers and foreigners and people who aren't like me, wealth, poverty, Brexit, whatever it is, but do not have love. I'm just a resounding gong. Some of you may have seen uh, a documentary by a guy called Darren Wilson called um, Finger of God, all about the goodness of God. Um, His follow-up documentary is called Furious Love. I don't know if many people have seen it. But that one is about when the kingdom of light clashes with the kingdom of darkness. Darren asked the question, just how dark does it need to be before you go beyond the goodness and the love of God? There's a section in the film where he and a group of believers who move powerfully in evangelism, healing, the prophetic, go to an occult and witchcraft festival in Salem, Massachusetts. In the film, Darren says that he did this with the express purpose of picking a fight because he wanted to see God prove that he was stronger than the darkness. As they were walking around, he was expecting fireworks and wondering how God was going to blow everything up and show people that he was bigger than the darkness of the festival. They started interacting with a number of people, offering to pray for them. But when they did pray... Nothing happened. Again and again, nothing happened. And God was really quiet. Because it wasn't going so great, they thought, okay, let's regroup, let's pray about what we're going to do. So they did, and they formed another plan. And they decided that instead of picking a fight, they would just look to pray for people and bless them. And that would be their sole agenda. And when they started to do that, 
amazing things began to happen. The Holy Spirit turned up in powerful, powerful ways. There's one particular scene that I want to tell you about, which is the, the frame at the bottom. They start talking to a group of friends, one of whom is a witch. And during this interaction, one of them starts to talk to the witch. He listens to what God's saying, and then he starts to prophesy over this witch. He tells him that he saw God bringing restoration and reconciliation to his heart, bringing healing from where he'd been betrayed and let down, telling him that God has had his hand on him to draw himself to himself and pour his love out on him. At this point in the commentary of the film, Darren Wilson says that he then realised what God wanted to do. He didn't want to pick a fight. He wanted to love. And his love is so disarming and powerful that this witch then allowed them to pray for him as he was starting to encounter God's love. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Some of you will recognise that picture. Um, over 20 years ago, I was involved in an outreach on, on a Friday night on the streets of Brentwood. Um, often dozens of kids would congregate with nothing to do. So we decided, well, why don't we try and do something? And uh, the church had an office on the high street. Um, and so what we did is we would use it um, we'd have donuts, tea, coffee, squash. We'd play Jenga. We'd play Connect Four. We'd watch videos. We'd just talk to people about what was going on. And we'd have people going out on the streets talking to people. And because we wanted to, as we were interacting with them, we wanted to be conduits of God's love to them, we decided that the way we would do it is that we would meet first, we'd worship, we'd pray for one another, and then we would go out and speak to the kids. They realised after a while that we didn't turn up at nine o'clock to go out on the streets. We were there from seven o'clock and we were up to something beforehand and sometimes they got impatient. So they came up um, while we were still worshipping and praying for one another. That's when things got interesting. Um, there were times when people would be um, lying on the floor because that's where the Holy Spirit had put them. And I remember a, a kid coming up to me and he said, he looked at this guy on the floor and he said to me, so um, has, he, has he been contacted then? <laughs> I, love, I love that kind of language. Um, and then we went from that people seeing that to some of them saying, what's going on? So you kind of explain they're experiencing God, they're experiencing the love of God, um, and they're, they're resting in, it, in his arms. And then a few of them said, can I have some of that? So, yeah, let's see what happens. 
So occasionally we would pray for these kids on a Friday night, those who asked that. And what we saw was no hesitation on God's part to touch these kids. We saw kids go flying out on the floor. Some of them, we'd never seen that happen to anybody else. They were on the floor and sometimes 20, 25 minutes encountering the love of a father. I remember having a conversation with, a, with a, one of the kids we encountered who said, look, I'd love to hang out, but I've got to go. So I said, well, why have you got to go? He says, I've got this really awful headache. So I said, well, can we pray for you that God will take it away? He said, well, what's the point? I don't believe in God. So I said, well, what have you got to lose then? So he, he couldn't find a fault in that logic. So he said, well, all right then. So we, we prayed for him, and he described it as if this headache was a blanket that got lifted off. What was really good, though, was watching his face as he was doing these mental arithmetics of, God doesn't exist. I had a headache. They prayed to the God I don't exist. My headache is gone. God doesn't exist. (laughs) And they're going round in circles, having been touched by a God. And what I felt was being whispered through all of this was to each of these kids, I love you. You're precious to me. I love you. You're precious to me. Maybe a more up-to-date example would be street pastors out in Chelmsford most Friday and Saturday nights actively looking for people who might be struggling or in trouble so they could care for them and get them home. Many of the people that street pastors encounter are involved in what we might think are fairly self-destructive behaviours. Maybe they drink far too much. Maybe they're into drugs or dubious relationships and encounters. But their street pastors will help anybody that they encounter. They choose to love and care for everybody. That's their agenda. It's not to make a point. It's not to preach. It's not to provoke an argument so we can win and tell people what we think. It's to love them and care for them. And interestingly, when we do that, sometimes some of the most bizarre, strange, weird conversations can happen at two in the morning. People open up about their lives, about relationships, about their hopes and dreams. They ask all sorts of questions. Will I know true love? What is life all about? Do I matter? Will I ever be happy? And this one that I had the most recent time I was out with the street pastors. If I was a tree, what kind of tree would I be? (laughs) And sometimes when we're dealing with the drunkenness and the vomit, the Holy Spirit turns up powerfully and we get an opportunity to pray for people and we see God touch them because he loves them so much. He loves them so much. I often think that 
traditionally, in our attempt to reach the world, we've often tried to start with what we want to talk about, what we think is important, but nobody else is really that interested. We might try and have some fascinating conversations. We've got some clever reasoning and arguments. No one's really that interested. The street pastor's agenda is just to love and care for people. To see people the way God does. To hold them as precious. And see that they get home safely after a night out. And people remember this ragtag bunch of people. All of them volunteers. Most of them retired. Who've given up their evening. And who often remind people of their gran. Not me, obviously. Um, (laughs) who saw them, had time for them, cared for them, and helped them or their friend. And one evening I had a very drunk guy say, I'll remove the expletives. He looked at me and he said, this is a good kind of religion. We like you. Years ago I heard an account of... um, a Christian in Russia who wouldn't shut up about Jesus and wouldn't stop loving Jesus so they put him in a gulag and he decided okay I'm here so this is my mission field these are the people I'm going to love and it was cold in the winter they didn't get enough food to eat their blankets were very thin wasn't uncommon for people there to die from the conditions. And one of the people that this Christian got to know was a young man. He didn't know why he was there. Maybe it was political. And he was ill. So he decided that he would help this young man, see if he could help him get better. So he would often give him his food so that he would have a a double portion because they never ate very much. And on the cold nights, he would give him his own blanket so that he would stay warm. And it soon became clear that this young man was not going to survive. He was too ill. The conditions were too bad. So the Christians started to talk to him about Jesus, about the Jesus who loved him. And this young man said, "I've, I've never heard the name Jesus. What's he like? And the Christian said, he's like me. So the young man said, I want him then. In his book, Face to Face with God, Bill Johnson says this, the gifts of the Spirit rest best on the fruits of the Spirit. That's why the Bible says that faith actually works through love. If we were to go round the room, I suspect that for most of us, it was not a convincing argument that led us to Jesus. It was someone who loved us well and in whom we saw something different. We might not have had the words for it then, but now we would know it as the love of God in that person, the love of a father melting our hearts and drawing us home.
This is my conviction. That this love, first for him and then for others, should be at the heart and the centre of our prayers. And that love causes us to be invested in those that we pray for. Our workplaces, our colleagues and friends, our city, our country and our world. And will help us see and feel about them the way he does. Now I think we are a, a community of people who love God well. And love others well. And my prayer is that we never lose sight of either. And that nothing will stop us loving others. That we will always see past the mess. Their difficult and sometimes offensive ways. And see the child of God that he loves. The person that he made them to be. Whatever they've done. And that will love them well. And by doing so, we'll see them touched with his love. Because he gave his son to make it possible for them to come home. And my prayer is also that we will allow nothing to be more important than the two things that Jesus said were the most important. That we will always keep the main things the main things. And that this love for God and for others would be the fire inside us as we pray, as we do life, as we interact with others. That we would pray because we love as well. And in doing so, we reflect our Father and walk in step with him. I'm going to um, finish, I think, but I'd like to do so uh, where I started when we spoke about prayer previously. And I told of, of an encounter that someone called Chris Vallotton had where God woke him up in the night um, and said something to him that just did his head in. And like I said last time, it's done my head in and I want it to do your head in as well (laughs) Um, that was this God woke him up and said this to him if you knew how much influence you had with me you would pray so much more and the reason I put that up is there's an invitation there to go deeper with God to engage with God. With a God who is so intentional about loving us, our communities, our families, whose desire is to bring his children home. And we get to, we get to partner with him. And one of the places we get to partner is prayer. just want you to look at those words or, or hear those words. If, if you knew, and I want you to imagine this being spoken to you. 
not us as a group, but to you individually. If you knew how much influence you had with me, you would pray so much more. Now, I'm aware that talking about prayer, you may feel that, well, I find it really hard to pray. There are so many distractions. Uh, don't feel I've got the time. What I don't want is for anybody to, to feel any sense of condemnation or to feel, you know, beat yourself up. This is not to condemn. This is an invitation to go deeper. And so, if you struggle to pray, I would encourage you, I would challenge you to be intentional each day in carving out time to pray, to be with him. Find five minutes, ten minutes, Pray when you do the washing up, when you take the dog for a walk. Pray when you're soaking in the bath or having a shower or walking to the shop, driving in the car. Be intentional because he wants to meet with you in that place and take you deeper. Should we pray? just encourage you if you feel comfortable um, to stand and if you feel comfortable just put your arms out just to receive Hmm. Jesus we love you Jesus, you are the most wonderful thing that has ever happened to us. And it is our desire to walk with you, to do life with you. It is our desire that we reflect you well, that others encounter you because they see you in us. Lord, I pray that you pour out your love on each of us. And that you would put in us a steely conviction that the greatest commandment is loving you with everything we've got. And after it, it's loving our neighbour, it's loving those around us. And those two would remain the two most important things. Father, give us your love, give us your heart, give us your perspective on the things around us. God, may we not be people who are known for what we stand against or that lot are judgmental. Lord, may we be known as people who love you well and love others well. I just encourage you to put your hand on someone next to you. Just pray that for them. Yeah, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Lord, help us to love well. God, help us to love well. Help us to love well. Jesus.
Okay, we're nearly done. Some of you will know that um, Ian Warnock has been in a bit of a battle uh, with cancer and um, understand that he's got some treatment coming up this week. It'd be really good if we can um, pray for him and uh, pray with eyes of faith with hearts of love. We want to believe God for powerful breakthrough, for complete healing and restoration for his body. I wonder if a few people can just gather around him now and, and uh, I'll pray for him. Father, thank you for this man who loves you. Thank you for this man who you drew to yourself and who surrendered and who loves you. And the desire of his heart has been to walk with you. And Lord, we know he's going through a battle, so we pray this would be a fantastic week for him. Lord, we pray for his body. We just speak healing and wholeness to his body. We tell all remnants of this cancer to go in the name of Jesus. You're not welcome here. Holy Spirit, we, uh, we ask you just to bring complete restoration right down to every cell. We speak healing in Jesus' name. We pray, God, that you would wrap your peace around him like a blanket. He would know that every step he's taking in this fight... You are with him. You walk with him. You carry him. Lord, I pray that you'd speak your words of vision for the future. Lord, we love this man. And so we just say, in Jesus' name, be healed. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Very good. Thanks, Martin.